My name is Vicki James, and this is episode 24 of Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. If you are new here, then welcome. This podcast is where we talk about true crime stories and mysteries that tickle our fancy, and we just happen to also like sandwiches. Today, we'll be covering the American mass murderer, Richard Benjamin Speck, and I am joined today by Katie. Hello. If you want to follow the podcast, we do have an Instagram at Murder So Much Podcast that I do update when episodes come out, among other things. I do just want to say thank you, everyone, for their patience. I know I haven't posted a while, but you know what? I've had the craziest work <laughs> that's ever lived recently. You're forgiven. Yeah. It's okay. Doing lots of overtime. So you know what? My main goal now is some time management. Yes. And that means putting more time away for the podcast. So... With that, let's just jump right into it and mow down on some true crime. Okay, so Richard Benjamin Speck. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen American Horror Story? I have seen some of it, not all of it. Do you see the first season, Murder House? I think so. Okay. So there was like an episode kind of loosely based on him, the one with the nurses. Oh. Yeah. I th- yes, I think I did see that one. Okay. So Richard Benjamin Speck, he was born in Kirkwood, Illinois on December 6, 1941, and he was actually seven out of eight children. Oh, wow. Yeah. And his parents were Benjamin Franklin Speck and then Mary Margaret Carbo. So shortly after Speck's birth, the family moved over to Monmouth, Illinois, which is like a really, really small town. And Speck and his younger sister, Carolyn, I think she was like two years younger than him. They were much younger than their four older sisters and two older brothers. So there was like a little bit of a disconnect between them. And I think they maybe saw them a little bit more of like parent figures than they did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he like later like moved the second batch them. of children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So Mary was actually quite religious and she was a teetooler. Teetooler? What is that? Okay, like this word was like all over, but I'd never heard it before. It's teetotaler. It's I think how you pronounce it, but it's it's just the word that says the practice of total personal abs- abstinence abstinence <laughs> from drinks, like alcohol. Oh. So they were totally devout do not drink. That's not all something right. you should do. That is a needlessly complicated word i know for, i'm sober or i'm abstinent i think yeah now i have a really long word for nowadays it. you just say i yeah i'm sober i don't drink yeah so anyway uh speck's father benjamin he worked as a packer at western stoneware in monmouth and he previously worked as a farmer and a logger but unfortunately in 1947 when speck was only six years old his father died of a heart attack oh. and he was only 53 oh, and Speck was, like, really sad. Apparently, he was, like, really, really, really close with his dad. Kind of makes sense. He's, like, the youngest boy in the family. Yeah. See it. So, only three years after his death on May 10th, 1950, Mary actually married again to a man named Carl August Rudolf Lindbergh. Oh, wow. That's awful. (laughs) And they got married in Palo Pinto, Texas. They had just randomly met during a train ride to Chicago. So, you know. Apparently, that's where you got to meet men. (laughs) Got to find myself a train. (laughs) (laughs) I I would actually love to take a train ride. Same though. Yeah. My Facebook seems to like the sponsored ads lately have been like telling me that to take this train ride through the Rockies. Oh. So I'm like, 
that actually sounds really nice. It, it, it knows you need a vacation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Lindbergh was a traveling insurance salesman from Texas, but he also had a 25-year criminal record ranging from forgery and fraud, several DUIs. So like not exactly Mary's type. No. And when she met him, he was still a heavy drinker. Like the DUIs didn't. Didn't slow any of that down. <laughs> no, he was still drinking. Because they got married in Texas, Speck and his younger sister, Carolyn, they stayed in Monmouth with their older sister, Sarah, for a few months so they could finish their school year. And then they joined his mother and now his new step stepfather in rural Santo, Texas, which is about like 64 kilometers or 40 miles west of Fort Worth, Texas. And that's where they had to attend school because this town was like really, really small. Which is like crazy that they had to travel that far for school. That, like, 64 and, kilometers. Yeah. That's a lot. That is a lot. Holy. So two years later, tragedy would actually hit the family again. And Speck's oldest brother, Robert, actually died in a car accident. He was only 23. That's sad. It is. So the family moved a lot. They lived at 10 different addresses over the next 12 years. Most of them were like on the poor side of neighborhoods. I don't know why they had to bring that up so many times in my research. That they were in the poor area. Yeah, they had to like make that clear. It's like interesting. Well, maybe they just like... Maybe they were serial squatters. Maybe. Speck and his stepfather had a horrendous relationship as Lindbergh was often drunk, verbally abusive, and absent most of the time and was just the polar opposite of his dad. Mm. It's just, like, it's such a weird transition for his mom. Yeah. But. That's, yeah, that is really weird. It is weird. Like, someone who actively abstains from drinking at all. Well, I mean, there was, a, you, there was a lot more, like, super religious people back then, though. That's like, true. I, I don't think that was actually super uncommon. That's fair. But, like, for her to get with an alcoholic is, like, weird. That is super weird. Maybe she started drinking. Honestly, I didn't find any reports of that, but, like, maybe. So, Speck struggled really badly in school. One of the reasons was he was, like, really shy. He got bullied, and he just refused to wear glasses that he needed for reading because he would get he didn't like people paying attention to him. And he was already drinking by the age of 12. By eight, yeah. By age 15, he was drunk every single day, all day. And his first arrest was in 1955 at the age of 13 for trespassing. And this is what started an insane amount of arrests and getting in trouble with the law, which we're going to dive into. It's actually endless. Oh, my God. So... He ended up getting a crazy amount of misdemeanors and everything over the next eight years. So he also ended up repeating the eighth grade at J.L. Long Junior High School, mostly because, like I said, he had a fear of people staring at him. So he also never spoke up in class. So he just wasn't the best student. And then in 1957, he was starting ninth grade at Crozer Technical High School. He actually failed every single class. So he didn't end up showing up for the second semester, and then he officially dropped out of school on January 1958, right after his 16th birthday. Shit. Yeah. After this, he ended up working as a laborer at the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas, Texas. All right. Haven't had 7-Up in a very long time. Just No, I... Like, I actually don't even know the last time I had it. I'm more of a Sprite person. I'm more of a neither of them. Well, like, if I had to choose one, I would be Sprite. All right. So in October of 1961, he's only 20 years old now, and he meets a 15-year-old named Shirley Annette Malone at a Texas State Fair, 
And she becomes pregnant after only three weeks of dating. And, and so, how, sorry, he's 20? Yeah. At this, and she's 15. And they end up getting married a few months later on January 19th, 1962. Yikes. And initially they moved in with his sister, Carolyn, and her husband. Which, like, I, I know the times are, super, are, are different back then. Like, I, yeah. I totally understand. But 15 is, like, just the thought of that now is, like, doesn't, didn't your parents have to approve that? Like, it's yeah, 1961. So it's just gross. It is gross. gross. So Mary was also living with Carolyn at this time because she finally separated from Lindbergh. And he had migrated to California. And we don't hear anything right. left of him now. So the asshole's gone. That that asshole is gone. <laughs> that, that one. Right. That one. So Speck's daughter, her name is Robbie Lynn Speck. She's born on July 5th, 1962. And he was actually serving a 22-day jail sentence for disturbing the peace after a drunken night in McKinney, Texas. Now, Shirley reportedly lived in fear of Speck, saying that she would often get raped at knife point by Speck, and he demanded sex from her four to five times a day. Jesus. Yeah. So their relationship wasn't super great anyway. And it's yeah. just sad because, like, at this well, time, she's only, like, 16. Right? That's It's gross. And she's young and it's... Ugh. Yeah. So only a year later, he's now 21. He's sentenced to serve three years in prison after being convicted of forgery and burglary. He had forged and cashed a co-worker's $44 paycheck. And then he also robbed a grocery store for cigarettes, beer, and $3 cash. Dream big. Just $3? <laughs> Not joking. Yeah. Like, he couldn't have robbed the till at that point. It was like... <laughs> It was like a cash society. Three dollars. <laughs> so did he steal like the tip jar or something? <laughs> I don't know. So he ended up being paroled in 1965 after serving 16 months at Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville, Texas. But it was short lived. Literally just a few days later, on January 9th, 1965, he was arrested for attacking a woman in the parking lot of her apartment building with a 17 inch carving knife. But he fled once the woman screamed. Thankfully, the police arrived within minutes and just found him a few blocks away, like, walking down the road, like, still holding the knife. So he was convicted and charged with aggravated assault. And he was given a 16-month sentence to run concurrently with his parole violation sentence. And so then he just got shipped right back off to Huntsville, <laughs> back to the prison he just came from. Which I think it's crazy that he got three years for stealing. Yeah. But got 16 months for aggravated assault. What the? That does not make any sense. Like, I understand they're totally different spectrums of, like, crimes, but it just seems weird to me that, like, the assault and the violence yeah. one is, like, significantly, I guess not, it's less. It's it just less. less. So, unfortunately, there was some type of error in him being charged and convicted, and he was actually released only six months later. After he completed his payroll violation charge. So he was released on July 2nd, 1965. Suddenly the other ones don't matter. Yeah. So after his release, he worked for three months as a driver for the Patterson Meat Company. And then he was fired. And you'd think it was for crashing the company's truck six times. But it was actually for failing to show up to a shift. <laughs> hey, wait. How long did he work there? Three months. Three and he, months and he crashed it six times. Two times a month, Katie. That's that is holy like five too many. Like once it's, it's, just, right, it's it, an accident. Things happen. But, but, oh. <laughs> I 
you know when I read that, I was like, what? So upon the recommendation now of Mother Mary, in December of that same year, Speck moved in with a 29-year-old divorced woman who was actually an ex-professional wrestler, was now a bartender at his favorite bar, which was called Jenny's Lounge. And he actually moved in with her to babysit her three children. Oh. Because, like, that's a fabulous idea. This, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So, finally, in January 1966, Shirley and him had been separated for a while now. She finally files for divorce. And later that month, now Speck stabbed a man at knife point at Ginny's Lounge. So he was charged again with aggravated assault. But a defense attorney was actually hired by Mother Mary, and he got the charge reduced. I know, I'm just going to call her Mother Mary from here on out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this defense attorney was hired by Mother Mary, and she got the charge reduced to just disturbing the peace. And he stabbed somebody? Yes. Man. At a bar. So he was fined a whopping 10 bucks, and then he ended up being jailed for three days because he didn't want to pay the fine. Man. So this would be the last time that he was in custody in Dallas. <laughs> so this is well, all no this- wonder he kept committing all these crimes. He kept getting away with it with, like, little to no punishment. Totally. And this is just in the span of, like, a few years. Like, he's still in his early 20s. Like, we're not very far here. <laughs> You know? Yeah. So a couple months after this, he buys a 12-year-old car and then immediately robs a grocery store the following (gasps) evening. Shocker. Yeah. He steals 70 cartons of cigarettes, which he then sold out of the trunk of the car in the grocery store parking lot. (laughs) After he's done selling the cigarettes, he abandons the car. Police finally locate it. They trace it back to Speck and they issued a warrant for his arrest. But by the time this all happened... Like, he was already gone. (laughs) So he had ended up taking a bus to Chicago while they were trying to find this vehicle. (laughs) So if he had been arrested, that would have been his 42nd arrest in Dallas. Oh, my God. And would have probably resulted in some sort of prison sentence, but unfortunately it didn't. (laughs) 40 wasn't the answer. It had to be 42. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just crazy. And, like, I... We still have so Does much have more like to go. Does he have, like, a stamp card by now? Like, see what Five times you get the fifth one. Every five you get a prize. You get you get off scot-free. It's ridiculous at wow. this point. <laughs> so he heads off to the Chicago. He didn't stay there for long. And he actually ended up going back to Monmouth, Illinois, where he was originally from. And he used to stay with some family friends. So he ends up getting a job through his brother when he arrived. But shortly after, he learned that his ex-wife actually married very shortly after she was granted divorce. And that just made him super pissed. So he basically got wasted and went on a crazy bender. So the first event on this said bender was he threatened a man in a bar restroom with a knife. And then a week later, he broke into a 65-year-old, her name's Virgil Harris. She He broke into her home, threatened her with a knife blindfolded her tied her up raped her ransacked her house and then sold and then stole two dollars and fifty cents that she had earned from babysitting that evening and how old was this girl she was 65 like awful gross so they don't end up catching him in this like in this bender like she obviously reports that they're investigating it but they don't know that it's spec okay so then a week later There's a bar called Frank's Place, 
And he also he likes he likes bars with names. Like I know. I also thought that right. Yeah. So he, Frank. Yeah. So he frequents Frank's place a lot, and there's a woman who works there, and her name's Mary Catherine Pierce, and she's reported missing after a few days of like not showing up to work. Yeah. The next uh-oh. day, unfortunately, yeah, uh oh, was right. Um, her body was found in an empty hog house that's behind the bar, and she had died from a blow to her abdomen, which had then ruptured her liver. Oh, which just sounds. Awful. Awful. So, yeah, like, just how hard do you have to be hit? You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? So he was not only known to frequent Frank's place, but the hog house was actually one of the several ones that he had actually helped build the month before. Whoa. Yeah. So he was... So he was helping build his own dumping grounds? Yeah, like, like, if he's helping build it, he knew where they were. Yeah. Like, if they're new, not a lot of people probably knew they were in the back. Well, I don't know if it was, like, covered, right? But, like, yeah. anyway, he knew that they were probably empty or whatever. So he's questioned, obviously, about Mary's death. He's there all the time. They probably pull up his name, and they're like, whoa, this guy's been arrested 45 times. Actually, he's in a new city, and it's back in the day, so they probably don't know his record. Yeah, that's true. But, so he's questioned, and they're like, stay in town. We're going to question you again. So a couple days later, the police arrive and he's just like staying in a random hotel. Like he's not like in a house. He's just at like a tavern or an inn or whatever. So they come to his house. They're like, knock, knock, knock to his like little room. And he's gone. Like he already left town. So they go into his room. They're like searching around. And that's where they found items from Virgil Harris's home. So they're like, okay, he's obviously connected to that. And then they also found items from Mary. So they connect it to him killing her. Yeah. And then they also found missing items from just other random burglaries in the area. So he was just like on a total yeah. shit storm. Stealing from everybody, breaking and entering and raping when yeah. the opportunity arose. Which is just sick and disturbing. Yeah. And like petty crimes, just like <laughs> rape. Right. Like at this point, you just burn. Well, no, he, not petty. Not I should, okay, I shouldn't violent. say. I, yeah, you're, you're right. It's not petty. At first, it was just burglaries, but he's progressively getting yeah. worse, right? Like, he's obviously getting a taste for the violence, and he likes it. So this is now April of 1966. Speck is 25. And he's staying with his sister, Martha, and she lives on the northwest side of Chicago. And Martha worked as a registered nurse in pediatrics before she was married. And her husband's name is Jean, and he worked nights as a railroad switchman. And they seemed to be pretty solid. Jean really, really wanted to help Speck out. They were like, you know, his older brother-in-law. And Jean was like, I want to help him. Like, he's obviously had a rough go so far in his life. Let's, like, get him some discipline and some structure. So he actually takes Speck down to the U.S. Coast Guard office to apply for a letter of authority to work as an apprentice. And so, like, on a on a ship. He's like, okay, I think this will do well for him. So Speck actually found work immediately, and he joined a 33-member crew of the Inland Steel's Clarence B. Randall, which was a lake freighter. And on April 30th, it was Speck's first voyage, and unfortunately, it was brief, just like his prison stays. Um, And he actually got appendicitis, like, three days into the trip, and he had to be helicoptered off 
by the U.S. Coast Guard helicopter and sent to St. Joseph's Hospital in Hancock, Michigan, where he had to get an emergency appendectomy. Yikes. So he's discharged. He goes back to Martha and Jean's house to, like, recover and whatever. And then later that month, he rejoins the crew, and he served until June 14th. So what kind of boat is this? Like a huge freighter. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a U.S. Coast Guard kind of thing. Yeah. So on June 14th, he's, like, on the boat, having a good old time, and then he gets drunk. Shocking. And he ends up quarreling with one of the boat officers, and so they just dropped him off at the shore the next day. They're like, bye. (laughs) Just (laughs) waving at him on the beach. So at this point, he goes and visits a woman named Judy Lackanime. She's a 20-year-old nurse's aide that he met when he was at the hospital getting his appendix removed. So a couple days later, on June 27th, Judy gives him $80 to help him until he finds work. So then he leaves her house and goes back to Martha and Jean's. So once Speck arrives back at their house, Jean is like, we're getting you back to work. Like... You can't just freeload forever. And so he drives them to the National Maritime Union or the NMU. And it's like a hiring hall. And this is in like South Deering, Chicago. And he has to file his paperwork there for a seaman's card. And then once he is a seaman, <laughs> I'm a child. Couldn't say it without getting. I'm, I'm a literal child. <laughs> I could adults swear. I know. So after, so once he's a seaman, then he can go and work on any ship right so the nmu hiring hall was just one block so wait he's got rape charges and assault charges and all of these things well he i don't think they could charge him he because they can't Uh, find him right so to them it's just interesting because it's only they had computers right like nothing synced up yeah so that's why it totally so you could go anywhere else and yeah okay but isn't it's weird that is so messed up it is actually so messed up i agree with you so this nmu hiring hall it's only one block away from five attached two-story brick townhouses three of which were occupied by south chicago community hospital senior student nurses and also filipino exchange registered nurses and eight of those nurses lived in the easternmost townhouse from the NMU hiring hall. Put a pin in that. On Friday, July 8th, 1966, now Jean drives Speck back to the NMU hiring hall to pick up a Siemens card and then register for a berth on a ship. He lost out that day to a seaman with more seniority, so then he returned to Martha and Jean waiting to get birth onto another ship so a couple days later martha and jean are like you have outstayed your welcome like you're annoying as hell go get on like go leave right so he goes back down to nmu to wait a birth on a ship and he's like stuck in this area for a handful of days so he's like staying at a random inn in the area and like he's trying to get onto a ship and so he finally gets birth onto a ship and he has to travel like 45 minutes away across town. He gets all the way there and his spot gets given away. Hmm? So he's like just pissed. So the next morning on July 13th, Martha and Jean meet him down at the NMU like really early in the morning and they're in their car talking and they're parked actually directly outside this nurse's townhouse when they're talking. And so Martha ends up giving him 25 bucks. He leaves them and he walks down the road to check into the shipyard inn and to spend the day drinking. They have their own tavern there and everything. Excellent. Yeah. So after drinking, Speck accosted Ella May Hooper at knife point. 
She was 53 years old and she was drinking with him at one of the bars. So he takes her back to his room, rapes her, steals her black $16 mail order 22 caliber pistol and leaves her there. Oh, good. Now he's got a gun. Yeah, totally. So after dinner, he returns to the shipyard inn and goes into their tavern there. And he's there until 1020 p.m. He leaves. He's entirely dressed in black. He's armed with a switchblade and Ella Mae Hooper's pistol. And he walks west toward the nurse's townhouse. So at 11.20 p.m. on July 13th, 1966, Speck broke through the window into the 2319 East 100th Street townhouse in Chicago's Jeffrey Manor neighborhood. And the townhouse was completely functioning as a dorm for student nurses at the time. Oh, okay. So he knocked first on the door of a Filipino exchange student nurse named Corazon Amuro, and she's only 23. And at gunpoint, he herded her and her fellow exchange students from the Philippines into the next room where the American students were sleeping. Speck woke up all the American students and tied the girl, all their wrists behind their back with strips of torn bed sheets. So during this, so he was not prepared. No, 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 not at all. So no, not <laughs> no. So during this carnage, two other student nurses come home. They walk into this. So Speck ends up stabbing one of them to death in the upstairs hallway when she's walking up and by her, into her room. She does no idea what's going on. She just walks upstairs, like heading to her room. It's like late. Oh my god! Just gets stabbed in the hallway. And same with the second one. She's walking to her room. Does the same thing. So later in the night, another nurse actually got dropped off by her boyfriend, and her name is Gloria Day. And unfortunately, she was the only victim to be raped before she was strangled. So he killed Gloria Davy, Patricia Matusek, Nina Jo Schmal, Pamela Wilkening, Suzanne Ferris, Mary Ann Jordan, Merlita Gargulo, and Valentina Pacion that night. Speck held the women in a room for hours, leaving them out one by one, stabbing or strangling each of them to death. And the intervals between each murder were about 20 to 30 minutes. So these other girls were just tied up? Yeah. Waiting, uh, basically awaiting their death. And they said that, like, no one was screaming when they left the room, but then they could hear, like, muffled cries, like, while he, they were getting strangled. So they were just, like, listening to their friends die. It was, like, fucked. So Corazon Amaro the first one I mentioned Mm -hmm. that he saw, she actually escaped death. Oh. She actually crawled and hid under the bed while Speck was out of the room. And he must have lost count or like people arriving and stuff. And there was actually eight people who lived there, but one of the women was just spending the night. So there's actually nine. So anyway, he lost count. She stayed under that bed until 6 a.m. until she was for sure that he was gone. Oh my god, that is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. So after she was sure, like, yeah. Oh, and she is an actual rock star. This later on, like, she is like a strong ass bitch. Honestly, good for her because in that kind of situation, you just oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like sometimes you're just in shock and you freeze. So like, good for her. Yeah. And you know what? Those other girls must have seen her hide under the bed and they just let her. Do you know what I mean? Like, they didn't try to crowd it because if there's too many girls under there, they would have got caught. Yeah. So she finally crawls out from hiding under the bed and she runs to the window and she just like opens the window and starts screaming like, they're all dead. My friends are all dead. Oh, God, I'm the only one alive. Because like her friends are still like there. 
So the police arrive and fingerprints found at the scene were an exact match to Speck. So he was identified by police quite quickly, but they don't know where he is. Yeah. So two days after the murders on July 15th, Speck was actually identified by a driver named Cloud Lunsford as he actually had been drinking with Speck that night. Oh. And so the next day, Lunsford recognized his sketch in the newspaper and phoned the police. But the police didn't respond to the call and their records show the call being made, but they never responded. Like they never, they never went to Lunsford house where Speck was staying. Like what? Come on. I know. So then the next day Speck attempted suicide at the star hotel where him and Lunsford were staying and the front desk worker called 911. And this is around midnight and he was taken to the Cook County hospital and there, he is recognized by Dr. Leroy Smith, and he's a 25-year-old surgical resident physician, and he had read in this newspaper with the sketch that Speck also had a born-to-raise-hell tattoo on his arm. I think it's on his arm. Anyway, but he read it in the newspaper story. That's what that yeah. escape amazing girl had reported. So he called him up and was finally arrested. Yeah. For how long this time? I'm going to get into just a fun fact. Okay. So this is around the time that the Miranda rights had come into play. Oh, okay. So the case had just been finalized in the United States. I looked it up a little bit and it's called Miranda versus Arizona. And it was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Now, I didn't read the whole thing, but it said the Fifth Amendment seems to address criminal procedure in some regard. We're Canadian, so we don't know anything about the Constitution. That's true. <laughs> so I only know what, what the Alexander Hamilton musical told me. I didn't even watch that. So I'm already out. So this fifth amendment to the constitution restricts prosecutors from using a person's statements made in response to interrogation and police custody as evidence in their trial unless they can show that the person was informed of the right to consult with an attorney before and during questioning and of the right against self-incrimination before police questioning so they had like as this was going down there was like lots of interrogations that were getting overturned and shit was just like really messy right yeah and so this meant you're gonna fucking shit your pants oh, no. No. this meant that speck wasn't even questioned until three weeks after his arrest <laughs> oh but the, he was like arrested but, arrested. The, okay. but he wasn't questioned for three weeks that would suck He's just, like, chilling there, thinking about what he's going to say for 21 days. Yeah. Like, what the fucking shit? Like, I couldn't believe that when I read it. <laughs> the police are probably just, like, itching to get in there. Like, <laughs> right? Tear him to shreds. Exactly. So, Judge Herbert J. Passion, he appointed a panel to report on Speck's competence to stand trial and his sanity at the time of the crime. So there was a panel of three physicians suggested by the defense and then three physicians selected by the prosecution. And the panel reported that they deemed Speck competent to stand trial and concluded that he had not been insane at the time of the murders. Speck did later claim that he had no recollection of the murders, but he had confessed to the crime to Dr. Leroy Smith at the Cook County Hospital. Mm. But Smith didn't end up testifying because the confession was made while Speck was sedated. Oh, 
So the trial of Speck was a national sensation. This is actually the first time in the 20th century American history that someone had killed so many people at random. It was like the first like real mass murder, random murder with no motive, right? Like for many at the time, it was seen as the end of the end of the era of innocence when it was never assumed that someone would kill helpless victims without clear motivation. But of course, yeah, two years later, Charles Manson would end the 60s decade of love for good. So Speck wasn't alone. So his trial begins on April 3rd, 1967 in Peoria, Illinois, just three hours southwest of Chicago. And they put a gag order on the press for the trial because it was like getting pretty loco. Yeah, I bet. As we just saw with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Yeah. (laughs) Like actually loco. So in court, Speck was positively identified by the sole surviving student nurse. When Corazon was asked if she could identify the killer of her fellow students and friends, she rose from her seat in the witness box, walked out, directly walked up to Speck, pointed her finger right at him, almost hitting his face and said, this is the man. Which like, I could never. That's yeah. Good for her. I know. So April 15th, they only deliberated for 49 minutes. (laughs) The jury found Speck guilty and recommended the death penalty. On June 5th, Judge Herbert J. Passion sentenced Speck to death in the electric chair, but granted an immediate stay pending automatic appeal. I guess there's an automatic appeal with a death penalty there. So the Illinois Supreme Court subsequently upheld his conviction and death sentence on November 22nd, 1968. I read this like random thing about this case now. So these people started to say that they, (laughs) I don't even know how to explain this. It seems so weird. But in the late 60s, they did this study where they thought that some men had an extra Y chromosome. Oh. And that this would make men more prone to like aggressive and violent behavior. So then they were trying to see if like Speck had this so that he could appeal with an (laughs) insanity plea. Oh, okay. But then later the research was like completely not true and totally unfounded and Speck did not have this extra chromosome. It's like this whole thing that's really weird that you guys can all read upon it if you want. But I was reading it and was like, I'm not even going into depth with this. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. It's not true. But if you want to read up on it, by all means, they were trying to get him to appeal with this insanity plea based on this not true extra non-existing chromosome (laughs) yeah so on june 28th 1971 the u.s supreme court upheld speck's conviction but reversed the death sentence because more than 250 potential jurors were unconstitutionally excluded from his jury because of their conscientious or religious beliefs against capital punishment Next year, so June 29th, 1972, mm-hmm. the U.S. Supreme Court declared the death penalty unconstitutional, so the Illinois Supreme Court's only option was to order Speck to be resentenced to prison by the original Cook County Court. So then a few months later, on November 21st, Judge Richard Fitzgerald resentenced Speck to 40 to 1,200 years in prison, which is eight consecutive sentences of 50 to 150 years. He was denied parole in seven minutes at his first parole hearing in September 15th, 1976, and also at all six subsequent hearings in 78, or sorry, 77, 78, 81, 84, 87, wow. and 90. Good. So while incarcerated at Statesville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois, he was given the name Birdman. 
because he kept a pair of sparrows that flew into his cell. So he was described as a loner who kept a stamp collection and he enjoyed listening to music. The warden described him as a big nothing doing time. He was not a, a big mo- nothing. A big nothing doing time. Does that mean like he didn't do anything out of the ordinary or that he was just a nothing piece of shit human? A nothing piece of shit human is how I take it. Okay. So he was not a model prisoner. He often got caught with drugs oh, or moonshine. And he never really cared, usually saying, how am I going to get in trouble? I'm here for 1,200 years. It's yeah, <laughs> valid, though. Yeah. What else can they do except for put him in the hole? Totally. I don't know if that exists or if that's just a movie thing. I think it exists. There's I solitary that, confinement. Like solitary, but like I picture like the dark. A literal hole. <laughs> a literal. <laughs> literal hole, but just like a super dark space and it's like yeah. you, you get a little tiny window. Yeah, that's where they slide the food through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I that's get what where you're I'm going with that. <laughs> totally. So Speck hated reporters and like based on his crime, he was getting lots of requests. He only really ever granted one interview in 1978 to Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green, and he publicly confessed to the murders in the interview and said he thought he'd get out of prison between now and the year 2000, where he then wanted to run his own grocery store. What? <laughs> I fucking... Like... I think he was like, it's just like the wow factor, you know what I mean? Like, he, I think he liked the attention. Oh, Yeah. So Speck stated at the time of the killings that he had no feelings at all and that there was blood all over the place. I can't remember. It felt like nothing. I'm sorry as hell. He stated that if he had to do it again, he would have just burglarized the place. <laughs> it's just such a weird thought what? process. Yeah. He he kind of goes back and forth with this where he's like, is he, I, is he schizophrenic though? Like, I, I honestly, like, it's weird because we'll get into it a little bit later too. Well, actually, it's just coming up right now. It, like, he goes back and forth with it. Like, he's like, oh, I don't remember. And, like, I feel so bad. But then mm. later he's like, oh, I didn't feel bad. Like, whatever. Yeah. It's kind of, like, I just don't think he knows what he feels. He just, I think he genuinely feels nothing. But he knows that it's weird yeah. that he feels nothing. Still. He's terrible. He's a terrible person. Terrible. Like, just, like. No fucks given. Literally no fucks. Speck's final thoughts for the American people was, and I quote, just tell them to keep up their hatred for me. I know it keeps up their morale. And I don't know what I'd do without it. <laughs> what? Yeah. Psychopath. Yes. Yeah. If anyone does watch the Netflix show Mindhunter, they do actually reenact the interview that the behavioral analysis unit of the FBI. So had did to- he actually do that interview? Yeah. That's a real story. I'm yeah, I'm going to mention it right here. So the whole show of the mind hunter actually came from a book. It's called mind hunter inside the FBI's elite serial crime unit. And it's written by Johnny Douglas. And he's one of the characters in mind hunter is based on him. And he created the FBI behavioral science unit. And he actually did that interview. Crazy. And so He's in one of the interviews. The this is just part of his book that I found, and I thought it was interesting. So he refers to an insane prison incident in this book, and this is what Speck revealed to him in an interview. And this is a direct quote from the book. So he found an injured sparrow that had flown in through one of the broken windows, and he nursed it back to health. When it was healthy enough to stand, he tied a string around its leg and had it perch on his shoulder. At one point, a guard told him pets weren't allowed. 
I can't have it. Speck challenged, then walked over to a spinning fan and threw the small bird in. Horrified, the guard said, I thought you liked that bird. I did, Speck replied, but if I can't have it, no one can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psychopath. <laughs> a legit psychopath. Yeah. I've never read that book, but I kind of like, I really do want to. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be an interesting read. And, totally. And if Netflix is listening, bring back <laughs> Mindhunter, please. I loved that show. <laughs> it is a good one. So I think I read it's season one, episode nine. Yeah. And the guy that they interview as Spec looks like the casting in that show is just insanely yeah. good. Like that guy looks exactly like Spec. I meant to re I've seen it that one before, but I meant to rewatch it the other day and then I forgot. Yeah, because the casting in that show is just in like and the one for Charles Manson, that Ed, one was crazy. Ed Kemper is the same. Like Ed Kemper, he, that guy looked and Ed Kemper looks like that. He's tall and huge, yeah. and the fact that they found someone who also has that like good job. I just totally. Anyway, if anyone's listening who hasn't seen Mindhunter and you're into true crime, I definitely recommend watching it. It's a little slow the first couple episodes, but man, it gets so yeah. good. So. So in May 1996, Chicago television news anchor Bill Curtis actually received videotapes, and they were actually made at the Statesville Correctional Center in 1988, and he it came from, like, an anonymous attorney. So Curtis stated that it was explicit scenes of sex, drugs, and money being passed around by prisoners who clearly had no fear of being caught. In the center was Speck, and he was performing oral sex on another inmate sharing large quantities of cocaine with other inmates, parading in silk undies, sporting female breasts that were allegedly grown using smuggled hormone treatments, and boasting, if they only knew how much fun I was having, they'd turn me loose. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Like, I'm laughing because it's unreal. It is unreal. Like, no fucks given. Yeah. No. Wow. Wow. Also, like, shame on the guards and the whole prison system that's allowing that. Yeah. Yeah. So you could hear behind the camera another inmate asked Speck if he killed those nurses. And Speck said, sure he did. When asked why, Speck shrugged and jokingly said, it just wasn't their night. He was asked how he felt about himself in the year since. And he says, like I always felt, had no feeling. If you're asking me if I felt sorry, no. He also described in detail the experience of strangling someone, saying, it's not like TV. It takes over three minutes, and you must have a lot of strength. Sick. It wasn't their night? It wasn't their night. (laughs) I'm sure you noticed in my little parole spiel that Mm -hmm. his last parole hearing was in 1990. So, the night of December 4th, 1991... Speck was transferred to the Silver Cross Hospital in Joliet, Illinois, after complaining of chest pains, and he later died in the early morning of December 5th of what was believed to be a heart attack, and he was actually one day shy of his 50th birthday. The coroner stated that Speck had an enlarged heart, emphysema, and clogged arteries. So, And his sister was scared that his grave would get defaced, which I think is pretty legit. Yep. (laughs) And so they spread his ashes in an undisclosed location. Oh, my God. (laughs) I still can't. The the whole justice system. Like, holy shit. 
the his early days like i think he gained a complex no doubt it doesn't matter i can do what i want i'm still gonna get out in the end yeah wow so that's richard's back that's insane <laughs> it's like yeah it's a crazy one it really is this like all in one night like it's totally senseless just I wonder what, Breaks they, through what the, just... the trigger was. Like, there had to be at some point that he would just switch to that. Yeah. And did it, wait, sorry, did any, did he actually use the gun he stole? No. He strangled it, all of them. So why did he even steal the gun? Was <laughs> it just, like, fear, maybe? Probably. I don't know, because, like, they say in the research I was doing, lots of people think that it was just a burglary and that he was caught off guard by how many people were there. But... From the way that the story is presented, he went into one of the rooms. Yeah, the intention. Yeah. Hmm. I think he just was winging it. I wonder if he talks about that in his that little interview. You can find them online. I'm be interested to hear that. For sure. Like that Mindhunter book to like hear his oh, whole interview. Totally. Cause I'd like to read that manuscript. <laughs> Yeah, because I can't really remember the episode with him in it, like the where they portray him in Mindhunter with the interview, but I remember him coming across kind of cocky. Yeah. Like, I think he never probably wanted to admit it, but he was proud. Like, they call him the first mass murderer of the 20th century. He probably loved that. Probably. And you know what? I never heard, like, I I didn't look up anything about his daughter because I think, I think it's weird. You know, it's not their, it's not their fault that their parents yeah. are fucking insane and popular criminals um but you know she's probably still alive she was born in 1961 oh yeah so i yeah she'd be like she'd be like seven years younger than my dad she'd be like 60 yeah yeah so i hope she like lived a nice life and wasn't like affected by her dad or anything like that that would suck so bad to be her well let me know what you guys think about richard speck if you had heard of him before um, basically what I'm doing is I've been compiling this gigantic list of topics and then I keep finding a new one and then I just end up doing that one. So I'm actually going down my list and Richard Speck was at the top of my list. So I've wanted to cover him for a little bit now because he is one of the first mass murderers that you really hear of. Yeah. That just, you know, just like a senseless murder. Yeah. Like there's no That's motive so- just, and he didn't even steal anything from the property. You know, After all that, he didn't? There's no... I didn't find anything about that. Huh. But yeah, let me know what you guys think. If you have any recommendations for topics, like just DM me on Instagram. I've had a few recommendations and I definitely love them because, you know, there's tons of cases out yeah. there that obviously you don't I know I mean, about. there's so many and there's so many out there. And that's... It's disturbing that there is. Totally. But yeah, if yeah. anyone wants me to cover anything, then I appreciate it. And there will definitely be regular episodes coming back. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for having me. Yes, as always. Katie's been on a couple now. So yeah. you're my little regular. No, no kids on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's no kids. No kids. So yeah. And yeah, if you guys want a good show recommendation, there is an episode of American Horror Story Season 1 Murder House that's loosely based around this um if you're interested and that's actually how i heard about richard speck in the first place because yeah i I was looking up that episode when i was watching it which like it came out like years ago and it i remember reading it's loosely based on speck and i was like who's that um yeah so if no one's watched that it's a little creepy 
I wouldn't say scary. I'd say that's on a creepy side. I love that show. I've seen that season three times. So I'm <laughs> highly recommended. And Definitely. until next time, bye. bye.